I was blessed to, to be able to go to Ukraine a lot uh, from 2000 to 2013 and work with orphanages in Kivarov, which is a kind of a south central city in the nation of Ukraine. Um, and uh, there was a church there that we would worship and with, and, and I would preach every time we would go with a translator, which is a challenge. But I got to where I could do it pretty well. I talked so fast that you really have to, you know, kind of pace yourself. So, uh, Bobby, I got to where I could do pretty good with a translator. But the translators we had were college kids that, that were Christians that would go to the orphanage with us. And so they knew how to translate English well in Christian terms. And, and they knew that if Mark is preaching, you better keep up because this, you know, but I, I did my best to try to go slowly. But bottom line is um, there was one gentleman in there um, that would come up to me before the service and, and grab me this big bear hug and kiss me on the lips. And it just, it, the first time it just floored me. I was like, oh my gosh, this dude just kissed me on the lips. And the pastor said, you know, he's greeting with a holy kiss. And I was like, we don't do that in the United States. So every time, I, you know, I would go in the summertime and we would go at Christmas. So I, for many years, I went t- two times a year. That dude would see me across the room and I'd have to, you know, I'd have to, Kyle, I'd have to, you know, kind of duck around and act like I didn't see him. But he would, he would get me and I, I never kissed him back though, Christy. I never kissed him back. He kissed me, but I wouldn't kiss him back. But then we joked, you know, what happens in Ukraine stays in Ukraine, that kind of thing. But Fran knows she's been over there with me, and she's, anyway. But I, I, we might do that every time I'm preaching here. So you guys, y'all cool with that? Everybody cool with that? If you're online, God bless you. You know, we love you. I uh, look forward to seeing you at some point down the road. Well, we're in our second, our third week now, actually, of this sermon series called Kaleidoscope. And what do we see when the picture changes? And as you take a kaleidoscope and you twist it, you shift it, the picture changes. And it's beautiful pictures. Uh, but, but when there's a shift, when there's a change, it's difficult many times for us to make these adjustments. And how do we see God at work? What is God doing when things change? And so this morning, I want to ask you the question. Um, and this is something that, I don't know if y'all know Edwin Chase, but he uh, grew up here in, in Columbus. I mean, and, and uh, I met him when, when he lived in Columbus. He was a minister in the South Georgia Conference, but he grew up here in Macon at the Methodist home, he and his brother. And he's had a wonderful, long, long ministry of, of uh, serving people in South Georgia. But anyway, Edwin Chase said to us one time in a workshop that I attended that he was doing, um, that he did this informal, informal survey for years, and he would ask people this question. Do you think... God is pleased with you. Do you think God is pleased with you? And he would ask, it wasn't an intimidating question. He just said, do you you feel like God is pleased with you? And he was surprised as he shared with us the results of this informal survey for years and years and years that the majority of the folks said, no, I, I, I don't think God is pleased with me. I don't think God's happy with me. I don't think God takes delight in me. And that surprised him. And, um, so I, I want us to think about, you know, how do we have that assurance that God is pleased with us and what can we do to make sure that we're living in a way that honors God, that, that, that we would say, you know what, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I, I believe that, that God is pleased with me. And so I think that John the Baptist, John the baptizer, you know, he wasn't Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, you know, but he was a baptizer, so they call him John the Baptist. I think something John the Baptist said at the very beginning of his ministry and something that Jesus proclaimed at the very beginning of his public ministry will give us some insight into how we can be pleasing to God with things that are changing for us. So what I want us to do is, if you've got your uh, bulletin here, uh, we'll see that there's a couple of scriptures from Mark's gospel. And the first one says this, that uh, John, this is in uh, verse 4 of chapter 1 
of the Gospel of Mark, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And then if you jump down to verse 14, now after John had been taken into custody and he had been arrested for preaching and teaching, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. For John the Baptist to go into the wilderness, and we see that people are coming from all over to listen to this man preach and teach. He was kind of a wild-looking guy, you know, he, he, the way he was dressed and the way they describe him. Um, it, it makes me think of a guy named Grizzly Adams from the, from the 80s. Remember that movie, Grizzly Adams? Y'all ever see that TV show? We had this big beard and this wild hair. I've always viewed John the Baptist like that. Well, anyway, he's preaching, and what he's saying is, here's what you need to do to have your sins forgiven by God. That is to repent and believe in the good news. Now, this is a total shift. This is a big change from what God had ordained in the Old Testament. And it's one of those kaleidoscope shifts that we see that Jesus, as he comes on the scene and fulfills all that is necessary for the Old Testament when it comes to the sacrificial system, the priesthood, all of those kind of things, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. We see in John, John the Baptist, in the, in the Gospel of John, it's not the same person, John the Baptist, is the writer of the Gospel. But in John's Gospel, when he talks about John the Baptist, he says that he looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What God was doing during this time in human history was he was making a shift from the law that he gave to his people through Moses on Mount Sinai with the sacrificial systems and the offering of, of an innocent sacrifice. And Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So there has to be a sacrifice that our sins may be forgiven because we've made a, a, a break with God's law and God's judgment has to be pronounced. And we know the scripture, the wages of sin is what? Death. So what you get when you sin is death. So if you're going to be forgiven or am I going to be forgiven of our sins, something has to die. Something innocent has to take my place. So in the Old Testament, God set this up to look to Jesus to make sure people understood what Jesus did and the fulfillment of what God wanted. And he set it up for sacrifices. So depending on your sin, depending on what the sin was, you could, you could use a, a, a lamb. You could use a bull. There were certain sacrifices that required different things. But it had to be the taking of this innocent lamb. And so the, the priest and the Levites and all those who attended the temple uh, and then the tabernacle before that, their job was to ritualistically do these uh, sacrifices the way God said they had to be done so the sin of that person could be forgiven. Because God judged the, the, on that death of that animal, the wrath that he had for the sin that person commits, and it made atonement, it made a covering over that person. So that innocent blood that was shed by that animal, on behalf of that believer who brought this to the priest, God said, in my justice, I've punished sin on this innocent, innocent sacrifice, and I'm going to be willing to, now because I am just, to forgive this person of the infraction they did against me or someone else. Does that make sense? So that was very serious, and, and, it, and it still is serious, but we see that Jesus fulfills that. Jesus died on the cross once and for all for you and for me, and if we repent and believe the good news, repent and believe the gospel, what Jesus did for us, our sin, our infraction against God's law, our rebellion against God, truly can be wiped out, truly can be forgiven because God takes his wrath, his hatred for that sin and what it does to his people, and he punished Jesus by 
pouring out his wrath on you. That's why we know that God is not going to pour out his wrath on you and me if we believe in Jesus because he did that on his son 2,000 years ago. So when you and I sin, what do we need to do? We need to repent. So what does that look like? What does that word repent mean? Well, it means that like doing a 180-degree turn, it's, 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 a, it's a changing of the mind. And as we look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we see this word un, uh, developed and, and unearthed, we see there's several components to this. The first thing, when, when I think about um, trying to help us understand what does it mean to repent, is, is the first thing we do is we have to acknowledge that we've sinned. We have to fess up and own up. Yes, I did something wrong. If your child does something wrong and you confront them with it and they don't say, yes, daddy, I did that, or yes, mommy, I did that, that's, they have to do that first step. They can't say, no, no, it wasn't me. I didn't do that. It was, you know, if they do that, then, then that, you're not going to get any remorse. There's not going to be any forg- uh, repentance there. So the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that we've messed up. And so uh, Psalm 32, 5, the psalmist says, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave my guilt and my sin. So the first thing we have to do when we come to, we want to be pleasing to God. What does John the Baptist say? What did Jesus say at the very beginning of his ministry? You need to repent. I need to repent because Jesus was the Lamb of God. God's wrath was poured out on him. So if you and I sin, then what we need to do is not realize, oh, God's going to strike me dead. He allowed his son to die for us. You and I are to repent. So acknowledge it. So if you start feeling like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. Don't, don't go, well, you know, God, God, you know, acknowledge it. Fess up. You know, say, yes, I've done it. The second thing is to confess with our mouth to God that we did that. So acknowledge it. Yes, Lord, I, and then we have to confess it. First John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, So we need to confess them. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to confess that sin. Now, uh, another of the New Testament writers says, confess your sins to one another. And that's where the Catholic priest, you know, you got that whole tradition there. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but that is not the requirement to be forgiven. You don't have to confess your sin to someone else. Many times it's good to do that so you can get that person to pray for you, hold you accountable, maybe not to do that again, that type of thing. But make sure that person is trustworthy. Make sure that person's not somebody who's going to go out and tell everybody your dirty laundry. Because then it hurts, you know, you feel like you've been stabbed in the back. But confession is a second part, so acknowledge it. Go ahead and just own it. Then confess it with your mouth to God. Say, God, I did this. Not, God, you know, I might have fudged here. No, you need to be very specific because God is very specific with seeing what we've done. So acknowledge, confess. And then the last part, uh, there's two more parts, but really the last part that I want to, well, there's two more parts, but, but forsake. So acknowledge, confess, and then forsake. And uh, there's two scriptures I want to share with you. Proverbs 9, 6 says, forsake your folly and live. Now, folly is one of those words, you know, just doing things that aren't right, doing things that are just frivolous, doing things that are going to get you in trouble, doing things that, you know, so forsake it. Turn your back on it. And that's one of the ideas of, conf- uh, of repentance. It's like a 180-degree turn. So if you acknowledge, cons- confess, confess, and then forsake, repentance is turning your back and saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to walk in a new way. Does that make sense? So it's not just saying, I'm sorry. 
to God. God, I'm sorry. I feel guilty. You know, it's more than that. Acknowledge, confess, then forsake. Isaiah 55, 7 says, let the wicked forsake his or her way and let them return to God. All throughout the Old Testament, you see God saying, I'm going to judge sin, whether it's Nineveh, the entire city. And when people humble themselves and confess their sin and, and forsake it, then God relents and says, I am not going to pour my wrath out on these people. I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to be merciful and I'm going to be patient with them so they will live out this, this change of heart that they've had. And so all throughout the Old Testament, you see God, when someone humbles themselves and say, God, you know, please, I, I, I cry out to you for mercy and justice and, and forgiveness and that type of thing, God is willing to do that. But, but there's got to be this forsaking of it. And then the fourth part is basically make restitution. So if you've sinned against someone and you've acknowledged it, you confessed it, and you've forsaked it, that's, that's it. But if you've sinned against somebody else, then many times part of that repentance, if you truly did forsake it, then you need to make restoration, restitution. If, if you've broken something that belongs to somebody else, then you need to be willing to pay for that. If uh, you stole something that belongs to somebody else, you acknowledge, confess, forsake it, you need to return that to them. Even though it's humbling, even though it's, you know, I don't know if you ever stole anything and your parents t took you back to that store and you had to return it. Thank goodness I didn't do that, but I know a lot of people that did, and they said it was, it was the most humiliating thing they did, but it, it broke them from, from, from doing that again because they never wanted to have to go through that making restoration, making restitution. So that's another part of it. If you truly did repent of it, if you truly were sorry and you truly were willing to forsake it, then whatever you need to do to make restoration and restitution, you'd be willing to do it. But if you're not willing to make that, then you probably weren't serious with God. You were like, well, yeah, I want to be forgiven, but, you know, I, I want to keep doing this. Or I want to keep whatever it is. Or, then that, that makes, you, makes us realize, you know, our heart really wasn't, wasn't there. So, uh, so the first part when John says, man, yeah, I want you to repent. So the people will come and listen to him and, and be baptized and you'll be forgiven. Um, trust in, in, in the gospel, good news of Jesus. That's the key. And so um, that's what you and I need to continue to do. Uh, another part of being pleasing to God is making sure that anything in our life that we're repenting of, not just saying, God, I'm sorry, you know, please forgive me. I mean, that's, that's better than not acknowledging that you've done something wrong. But make sure you uh, forsake it. Make sure you, you want to do a death blow to whatever that is. And that's where the rub is. Jesus said, if your heart's there, then, then, then let, me, let me do some surgery and get that out of your heart. So you don't keep coming back to that sin, keep coming back to that attitude, keep coming back to that uh, whatever it might be. Um, so God wants us to, to, as we turn this kaleidoscope, say, okay, uh, no more, you don't have to do the sacrificial system anymore. Jesus did that. But how do we deal with sin in our life? And many times if I ask somebody, do you feel like you're pleasing to the Lord? And they would say no. And if I would press them on it, I would say, you know, well, why do you think that is? And they say, well, I've done so many bad things. And then we would begin to unpack that. And it's like, okay, well, basically there's sin in your life. And so what does God want to do about that sin? He wants you to repent of it and then let him help you walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Let you do those things and, and give you the power to say no to that temptation the next time you run up against it. And so a lot of times we don't feel like God is pleased with us because of what we're carrying in our life. And what John the Baptist said and what Jesus said is, oh, there's, there's a cure for that. There's a way to be cleansed of that. There's a way to be free of all that guilt and all that, con not condemnation, because that doesn't come from God, but all of that burden that you are carrying. And that's why Jesus said, oh, if you're burdened, if you're heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. 
So if you're carrying the guilt of something you've done, and it may have happened you know, when you were five years old and you carried the guilt. I, I remember, um, I've got two younger brothers, and, uh, and my youngest brother, Paul, uh, gosh, he was about three years old, and he had just gotten some, you know, the permanent, not the permanent teeth, but the baby teeth, and, and uh, my dad had a workshop in the garage, and, uh, or downstairs, and, and so I was carrying my brother, Paul, and, and uh, I heard all the, you know, the, the saws go, and I thought, well, this is going to hurt his ear, so I was going to take him up the steps to get him out of the, the basement there, and I drop him, and his face hits the, the steps, and it knocks out these two front teeth. He starts screaming, he's crying, he's bleeding everywhere. And so I'm thinking, I'm fixing to get in some massive trouble here because I, you know, knocked out the two teeth of my little brother, Paul. So, you know, mom hears Paul crying. And, and, uh, and so we, she says, what happened? I'm not throwing myself under the bus, right? So I lied. I just flat out lied. I said, he fell down the steps. So anyway, so the next couple of years when he does school pictures, kindergarten and all that, he doesn't have any front teeth. He doesn't have front teeth for the longest time until his permanent teeth came in. And I just felt so bad about that. I just lied, just flat out lied to protect myself. And so fast forward, man, you know, years and years. So I'm married. Fran and I have our three girls. You know, I'm, I'm doing youth ministry back in the same town. And, and, uh, this, it's, just, it's just weighing on me, this guilt that I lied to my parents. So I called my dad. I said, Dad, I need to come over and talk to you and Mom. I got something I just need to talk to you all about. And he's like, your voice sounds kind of serious. What's going on? He said, I, I, I don't want to do it over the phone. Let me. So I don't know what was going on in my dad's head. So I get there, and they're both real somber. They're sitting on the couch. I pull up a chair, and, and I said, you know, you remember when Paul lost his two front teeth? And, and they're like, yeah. And I said, well, it's because I, I dropped him, and I lied to y'all, and, and I told you he fell down the stairs, but, but I lied. And my dad's like, what? You mean that's what you did? <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know what you were fixing to tell him. You know, he was just like, I, you know. And I was like, well, Dad, I've been carrying this burden all, you know, I've been, this, you know, it's been eating me alive, and I lied to you guys and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you know, you, you, what you put me through, I didn't know what, you know. Anyway, so I'm over-exaggerating with what Dad said. But the bottom line was, I was, and I wasn't, I mean, I did worse things than that. Don't, don't think, oh, boy, you, that's all the worst thing you didn't know. I did worse things than that. But, but I lied to my parents just flat out just because I, I didn't want to get in trouble. And I would have gotten in trouble. But here's the bottom line. Jesus says all of us carry burdens. And I don't know what burden you might have carried or, or might be carrying, but he does. And so he says, bring these to me. Bring these to me and, and give them to me. And if it's a sin, then acknowledge it and confess it and forsake it. And if you've got to make restitution, call your parents and tell them that you lied to them, whatever it might be. You know, um, but, but that's how we know the number one, that because of God's love for us and what Jesus did on the cross, we can be made whiter than snow. Our sins that were scarlet can be now just, just purified. And you and I can walk around with a clear conscience. As the apostle said, Apostle Paul said, I have a clear conscience before God to this day. 
And Paul continually allowed the Holy Spirit to examine his heart and root out those things that were in his life. And, and he continually just confessed his sin before God and said, God, if there's anything in my life that's not right. And that's why Paul could say, I'm the chief sinner among all sinners. And you look at his life, he's like, man, you were probably the most saintly person anybody could meet. But then, because he let God drill down in, his, in the depths of his life and in, in, the, in the, the depths of his heart, he knew his own thoughts he knew his own passions. He knew his own, and he knew there's still wickedness in my life. And so he couldn't say, yes, I have a clear conscience, and I'm not a sinner. He could say, I have a clear conscience. Why? Because when God shows me something, what do I do with that? I do what John the Baptist proclaimed. I do what Jesus proclaimed. I repent of it. And I believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus' death for me was sufficient that all of my sins may be forgiven. Whether it's lying to your parents or taking the life of somebody that, that is, is innocent. As horrific as both of those are in God's sight, the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to forgive us of anything. So I want you to be pleasing to God. I want to be pleasing to God. And one of the main things we got to do is let God deal with the sin that's in our life by the way he said for us to do it. Uh, the next thing I, I feel like is, is that as, as John the Baptist comes on the scene and, and proclaims this, there's a shift in not only how we relate to God with our sin, but how we worship. A huge part of their worship experience was, was offering this sacrifice bringing that to the priest, and that was no longer a part of the worship experience. And that's why Jesus said, listen, you know, it's not, it's not that you worship in the temple because there's going to be a point in time when this temple's not going to be here anymore. But I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. And just as we sang this morning, and just as we just put our eyes on Jesus and began to proclaim who he was and worship his majesty and, and enjoy our worship, is looking different now because of COVID than it did, you know, before COVID. But it's that heart, worship in spirit and truth. And so if you're online, you can still worship God. If you're here in person, we still worship God. If you're by yourself in your home, you can still worship God. But that is something that God will um, be very intentional about in looking and focusing on our heart. If you come to church, that's the first thing. But when you come to church, where is our heart? Are we distracted thinking about other things? Are we irritated with someone? That's why Jesus said, if you're going to bring your offering to the Lord and you got something, your neighbor has something against you, get it right and then bring that and worship God. So we want to make sure our relationships with others are right. But worship, it comes from the heart. So, so it's better to come with a stinky attitude because God can really work on your heart sitting here, you know. But God wants to work on that stinky attitude, amen? He wants to work on that heart. And so it's so important. So our, our, our worship looks different. Um, now, our personal worship doesn't change. Those disciplines like reading our Bible, praying, uh, some of you guys enjoy fasting, uh, singing, those kind of things that we do personally, our own devotional time. A lot of you guys are saying that you enjoy our, our morning devotions. I hope they're a blessing to you, and we're going to keep doing them. But, but that personal devotional time that you have, that doesn't change. But our corporate worship is definitely changing. Now, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says this, uh, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, day drawing near. So how does corporate worship look different? Well, we're online. Uh, we are here in person, um, but what we felt like this, this uh, fall would be a good thing to do was, was let's change how we 
uh, get together and add some things that the early church had to do because of persecution. We're doing it because of COVID. But, but I love the idea of, of getting smaller groups together and just doing something fun outside and adding to that a part of devo- having a short devotion, uh, talking about the things of God. I know, Dina, you're going to start a walking group, so we don't have that on here. But if you, if you want to start something or if there's something that you want to suggest, you know, uh, put that in the, in the box as you're leaving. But what we felt like this morning, because corporate work is a little bit different, but the church hasn't changed. We still gather together. We're not going to forsake the assembling together of the, of the righteous. We might not be big groups anymore like we were at this particular time in history. But these smaller groups can meet in a safe way around something that's fun to do and, and just enjoy encouraging one another and motivating one another and uh, stimulating one another to love and good deeds. So as we do get together around some kind of activity, then that corporate worship can look a little bit differently. Um, let me conclude by saying this, that, that God is pleased with you. Even if you have sin in your life, he's pleased with you. And the way I can say that with confidence is this. We, we've been blessed with three girls. And if you've got children, you know sometimes they can be um, difficult to handle. But does it change your love for them? No. Even when you need to discipline that child, you still love that child. And you as God's creation, me as one of God's creation, there is a love that he has for us that we can't even fathom. There is a tenderness and a compassion for you that God has for you that no human being can even come close to to, to having you experience and even though human love is wonderful and God's created that and, and, and all God's love for you is even more superior than that. So what does he do with the sin in our life? We've already talked about it. But that doesn't mean he's not in love with you and cares for you. And he wants us all to be so, so confident in that. And our love for him to grow so, so much that when there is sin in our life, because we love him, we want to deal with it. We want to get it out because it hurts our relationship with him. It separates us from him. But as a loving heavenly father, he looks at you, whether that burden is heavy or that burden is small that you're carrying, he still loves you. And he said, oh, come to me. Don't run from me. I know you're ashamed of what you might have done, but don't run from me. Run to me. And let me take that burden off of you. Let me love you the way only I can love you. Let me give you the confidence that you need to be my daughter, my son, so you can help others and minister to others and be like Christ in this world because so many people need that. But if I asked you this morning, do you think God is pleased with you? And you would very honestly with me say no. My heart would be, well, first of all, let God take the sin out that we all have to deal with. And then I want you to meditate, think about, ponder how much God truly does love you. It's not based on what you do and what you don't do. It's based on his creation of you. He's made you for himself. There's nobody like you in the whole world. Nobody like you in the whole world. 
And God said, I want you at this time in history to be born, to live, to experience all that I have for you because I thought you up and I created you and I love you. And I want to get the nasty stuff out and I want you to walk with me. I want you to celebrate with me. I want you to dance with me. I want you to enjoy me, your heavenly father. And there's nothing better. Amen.